The greatest manhunt in history. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Zero Dark Thirty. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today, we are doing Zero Dark Thirty about the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And as we were talking about before we started recording, I think this is our like most bleak movie since, what, Munich, probably? Yeah, probably overall, but certainly since Munich. I remember this movie was very well regarded when it came out, mm-hmm. but they were accused of glorifying torture. Hmm. That was can, the big criticism of the movie. I can see how that could be interpreted. Right. I don't have anything more to say about it before we get started, so shall yes. we jump right in? Yeah, so here is the synopsis from IMDb. A chronicle of the decade-long hunt for al-Qaeda terrorist leader Osama bin Laden after the September 2001 attacks and his death at the hands of Navy SEAL Team 6 in May 2011. For those of you who are up on your movie knowledge, this came out a year and maybe some change after that event. That is really rapid turnaround. I would say, like, how quickly did that script come together? How much filming? Wow, that's that's pretty quick. I seem to remember there was a time when we didn't make movies about tragedies. I guess this isn't exactly a tragedy. but events. A major historical event, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Of course, this is not the quickest turnaround. Apparently, there was a movie made about the Titanic disaster, like, mm-hmm. less than five years, and it involved some of the people who were on the Titanic in real life were actors in the movie. Wow. So I don't think that will ever be toppled. Yeah, I would say that, or some war movies, which were made, like, pretty much right after they happened. Can you think of some examples? So there's a movie called Back to Bataan, which is um, the Philippines and the Bataan death marches, but I'm trying to remember when the actual... Oh, so the Battle of Bataan took place 1941 to 1942. This movie came out in 1945. That soon. Yeah. And so they actually had people who took place in the Bataan death marches who recreated their role. And so was like, it more like a documentary? No, because it had John Wayne. It's a, it's a very interesting movie, let's just say, as, from a Filipino perspective. But let's get back to the movie that we... Uh... No, wait, I want to talk more about John Wayne. <laughs> because I read a huge John Wayne biography a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I have never heard of this movie. Really? And I read it because John Wayne is my grandfather's favorite actor. Yeah, we, we can talk about it offline. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, we just read the synopsis, so let's get into the movie. So it's yes. like it starts with these like night vision goggle like uh, logos, basically. Mm-hmm. Not goggle, but the logos look like they're all in night vision. Yeah, and did you see one of them was Anna Perino Productions? Mm-hmm. Of course, Anna Perino Productions makes like horror movies, at least in my mind. That's what yeah. they're associated with. And I think they're also going to be distributing the next Bond film, at least in the States. So they do a lot of Okay. The goggles and mm-hmm. the Anna Perino makes me was like, am I, am I watching the right movie? <laughs> this isn't The Conjuring 2 or whatever. It starts with, it says this movie's based on true events. Gets uh, the Spy Fi Guy seal of approval for not that. Even, this is the first time I've seen based on first-hand accounts of real events. Yeah, they do their own spin on yeah. it. Yeah, and then this is this is, like like I said, this you know this is a tough watch, but like they have what seems to be actual sound bites from nine eleven, like from the planes, from people in the towers. Yeah, I think they are real. Yeah, so 
So I have mixed feelings about this part. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I hate it because it's so difficult to listen to right. when movies yeah. do this. And especially since it's real and these are potentially real people dying. Not potential. Well, well, we presumably the people who yeah. are, in it are dying, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really don't like that because it's very difficult to watch. But I also like that it was more subtle than something like Munich, which recreated the attack Fair in enough. full glorious color. I mean, they were using actors, but still. Yeah. Well, so it was, it was just enough to remind you of the stakes and nothing and, more. Yeah, and for those who haven't seen the film, so they don't when they do this, it's not like they're showing images or anything. Like, it's just a blank screen, with, and you just hear the audio. That's right. So it's it's very. I will say it's very powerful, but I too have mixed feelings on the use of it. It's powerful, but it's unnecessary, especially in 2012. People know what 9/11 is, and they know who Osama bin Laden is. True. We don't need to be reminded. Yeah, and so. One of the things I did like about this film was they separate that out into chapters, seemingly. So the first chapter is called The Saudi Group. Yes. And so we have Dan, who's played by Jason Clark, interrogating a prisoner named Amar. And he's using some enhanced interrogation. He's stringing up by his arms. And we, we meet Maya, who is played by Jessica Chastain. Yes, in her big breakout role. And I looked up Amar while I was waiting for you to get on. He's Algerian, and he's been in tons of movies that are all French. Hmm, okay. So apparently that's what he does. If you want to see him, you better learn some French. (laughs) So Maya has an exchange with Jason Clark, and she's like, what's the deal with this guy? When's he getting out? And he says, he's not getting out. Well, no, the the exchange was basically, because she's, you know, after they do some interrogation, they go outside, and right. he says that the prisoner has to, it may take a while because the prisoner has to learn how helpless it, he is. And Maya goes back in without her mask. Dan is like, you're going to need this. Is, it, is, it, is he ever going to get out? No. So then she doesn't care if he sees her face. That's what it was. Okay. Well, so that's interesting. Okay, so I guess I probably should have written down the content of that. But I feel like it's not so much that she's going to be recognized by him later or he's going to come after her. It's more that she's a woman. Maybe. I feel like that's what Jason Clark didn't well, want him to see. And we'll go get to this later, but there's a moment later on when Dan, Jason Clark, is leaving the facility where he says, watch your back because everyone knows who you are now. She's much more memorable than just another white guy. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, they both go back into the interrogation. Dan says he's been studying and following Amar for a long time. And he, so he's a money man. He you know pays people off to do whatever task that Al-Qaeda gives them. But is he, though? To take one of your phrases, is he, though? It was a little confusing. Because, I, yeah. because Dan is like, you're a money man. You pay terrorists who kill women and children. Nah, I'm just messing with you. So I'm like, well, which part was the messing with? I don't know. Like, we only have what, you know, what Dan has to go on in this, really. So we don't know. Well, I feel like the movie's either poorly filmed or maybe I didn't get it, or maybe mm. it's supposed to be ambiguous. Mm, because, maybe. of course, the nature of the Intel job is you could be torturing a guy you don't actually know if he's a bad guy, which is a scary thought. Well, so we do find out that apparently he paid one of the 9-11 terrorists. Yeah, but did he know that? He was going to be a 9-11 terrorist out of the time? We don't know. So yes. Dan, what Dan wants is someone from the Saudi group, and he wants their email address so that they can you know, trace him. Mm-hmm. But Amana refuses and then gets waterboarded. And yes. that was very disturbing to watch. Yeah, as it should be. Mm-hmm. For those of you who were around at the time, you may remember there was a big debate about whether or not waterboarding is torture. I think 
certainly in 2020, most people think that it is. And that's definitely where I stand on that. And I'm glad that they they didn't make it look like it was easy to go through, that they made it really feel like, again, it's that same, it's that same dichotomy of, all right, I'm glad I don't like it. I, I hate that it's there, but mm-hmm. I'm glad they don't sugarcoat it. Well, that's why I was confused when the reviews and the critics at the time said the movie was glorifying torture. I really don't see glorification, but they might be saying that torture is ugly, but it's effective. And that is also not definitively determined to be true. Quite the opposite, in my understanding. Yeah, and I don't think we talked about it. So we're only going to cover the first half of this movie for this podcast. We'll cover part two in the next segment. From everything I've seen so far in this movie, because I only watch up to the halfway point. Yeah, and they torture. A lot of the evidence, at least for what they're looking for, hasn't come through because of torture. It's unclear. That's all. That's all I will say for now. Before *Spy versus Fiction*, yes. Any actionable um, information doesn't seem to have come out through torture, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the last thing that is that Dan wants to know where Osama bin Laden is, and of course, Aman doesn't give it to him. Yeah, Aman is not going to know that. I think it's safe to say. The next thing I have is they go to Pakistan. Now we yeah. get a montage of the people. And traveling around, and the various landscapes, and Maya meets the coach from Friday Night Lights <laughs> at the embassy. Yeah, so he's Joseph Bradley. He's a st- station chief there. And so he, but before he meets Maya, he was talking to Dan about the interrogation. Dan saying he needs to push him a little harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradley seems to have no issue with that. Remember, also I should point out that the title say this is only two years after 9/11. Right. right. So it's early into the ten-year search. They also so, talk about Maya a little bit. They say mm-hmm. she didn't volunteer to mm-hmm. like join in the torturing, but she's a killer. That's a yeah. direct quote. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a meeting with a bunch of all the CIA folks at that embassy there. They're talking about different rumors about bin Laden, about different targets. They have this big sort of whiteboard with all the different leaders of Al-Qaeda and the structure. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people to find and mm-hmm. track down and interrogate. And then someone has one rumor about Osama bin Laden about like a diamond-shaped pattern of people around him. Yeah, there's Maya, nothing a lot to go on. Yeah, for Maya this. completely shuts it down, saying that's pre-9/11 behavior, and they would have changed behavior because hey, we invaded Afghanistan. That's not a good enough reason to change behavior. People don't <laughs> seem to think, but it is. We are back to Omar, who's being tortured with loud music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with heavy metal. Yep. Yeah, they go to see him, and Maya like has her finger under her nose, indicating that he smells bad for people who are not watching this movie and smell a vision. But this time, Dan is playing the good cop. He's mm. nice to Omar, and it seems to be more effective than torturing him. Yeah, brings him a drink and some food. They talk about Richard Reed, the shoe bomber. Yes. The reason that we all have to take off our shoes at the airport now. Thanks for that. Dan threatens Amon with more waterboarding unless he gives the names of all the other people in the Souter group. He humiliates him by pulling his pants down. And Amar doesn't know any names, but he says that he knows about an attack, which really gets Dan's blood going, so yeah. to speak. And but he also asks for Maya's, Amar asks for Maya's help. And Maya, uh-huh. like, for a second, looks like she's going to help him or something, but she just, like, completely shuts him down and says she can ha- that he can help himself by being truthful. Amar comes off as a pretty pathetic sight in all of his scenes where he's mm-hmm. being interrogated. Mm-hmm. And then Dan comes back and, to further humiliate him, brings a dog collar and, like, walks him like a dog. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. jeez, that's terrible. I'm sure in real life it was even worse, but the movie seems to be sparing us from the details about that. They only reference things like Abu Ghraib. So he claims to know about the attack, but then just starts naming days of the week. Mm -hmm. And this sounds like a thing that they've referenced in other movies, which is that the problem with torture is that people just start telling you things they think you want to know. Right. So that way you'll stop torturing them, which is exactly what's going on here. So they put him in this really tiny box and hold him there. Wasn't that in the spy museum? The new spy museum, the the, the room where there they talk is about a box, yes, or a, yeah, yes. I don't think it's as big as the one in the movie. The one in the movie seemed like it was smaller. Okay. Yeah. There's another two years mm-hmm. jump, and there's an attack in, in Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Arabia. Yeah. of gunmen attacking Westerners, and Maya and Dan decide they're going to take advantage of this to bluff Amar. Yep. Which I so, think was interesting. Yeah, so they, because they've been torturing him so long and he hasn't slept that much, they're relying on the fact that he might not remember what he told them and what he didn't tell them. Which so I they, would totally believe if I were him. Yeah. So they tell him, Amar, that he gave up the names of some of his brothers and saved a bunch of lives. They give him f- some food, They and he gives them names of people he was with after 9-11. Yes including the name Abu Ahmed. Yes, Abu Ahmed al-Kuwaiti. But al-Kuwaiti is not his name, it's a title. Mm-hmm. He means the Kuwaiti. Didn't need a lot of brain power to figure that one out. But once again, we see that being nice is more effective than torturing people. Mm-hmm. Though, I guess it would be unclear whether or not the torture contributed to him being broken at the point where he could do it. Yeah. And so they also say that Abu Ahmed was is one of bin Laden's couriers and that uh, once he saw Abu Ahmed in Karachi, who read them a letter from bin Laden and said, continue the jihad, the work will continue for 100 years. Yeah, so the point is if they can find Abu Ahmed, they can find Osama bin Laden, which, of course, we know from real life is exactly what happened. So they're reviewing all this footage to try to put a name to a face. Mm-hmm. And there's a brief conversation with, I think it's Joseph. I don't remember who Maya was talking with, but they talk about whether bribery will work because it worked during the Cold War. Oh, that was Jessica. Oh, yes, her, her, friend, her friend Jessica. So Jessica's like, we can just offer them money and eventually someone will give us Bin Laden for $25 million reward. Mm-hmm. Maya says these guys are motivated by ideology, yeah. not by money. We see Maya packing a bag and a wig and she goes to a black site in Poland that's on a ship which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, another interrogation. And she gives, shows him a photo, and the prisoner says it looks like Abu Ahmed. And so Maya brings all everything she's found, reports it to Bradley, but Bradley says, good work, but there's no actionable intelligence here. Anyways, nothing we can act on. All theories. Yeah, he is like a fighter. He likes finding people he can arrest or, like, blow up. It's the impression that I get from him. But and she comes to the conclusion that Ahmed is important, or Ahmed mm-hmm. is important, and they have to find him even so, because he's yeah. a messenger, which we mm-hmm. determined. So we have another time jump. There's actually a, a lot of time jumps in this movie. So we time jump to July 7th, 2005 in London. We see a double-decker bus going by in various parts of London, and then it explodes. And we find out there were multiple attacks in London on that day. And we have clips of Maya and Bradley watching news reports on this going on. Did you recognize the date when they showed it on the movie? Yes and no. I was like, wait a minute. What do I remember? Oh, right. These were the 7-7 attacks in London. Yeah, there was a time when people other than ISIS were attacking these European capitals. Hmm. 
But yeah, and so next we cut to Dan playing with some monkeys outside in a cage. Yeah, this is at Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan. He's feeding the monkeys ice cream and then eating the same ice cream, which is gross. Yeah, but then the monkey steals the ice cream. That was a one moment of levity that, like, throughout a whole movie of, you know, terrible feelings. Yeah, well, I was pretty grossed by the them sharing ice cream, <laughs> but then I'm glad to see that some other guy, like a red shirt, says UCAA guys are twisted to Dan, which he takes as a compliment. Hmm. Yeah, so this is at an ISI detention center. Oh, no. Yeah, so we just, later on? That's right. It's an ISI. So we just jumped countries again <laughs> after like 30 seconds in Afghanistan. But now mm-hmm. we're in Pakistan. And Maya is doing interrogation and she uses like the same talking points that Dan did at the beginning that. of the movie. Yeah, the whole, you know, I've been tracking you for a long time and all that sort of stuff. Which is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because. If this were like a traditional Hollywood movie, yeah. which it's not, I feel like the beginning sets up Dan not as like an antagonist, mm-hmm. but as someone you do not want to be because right. he tortures people. Right. But it's like training day, okay? <laughs> Dan is like Denzel Washington. You don't want to be him. I mean, you do because he's cool, but you also don't because he's a bad person. Whereas yeah. Maya is the one who's going to break the streak and be better. But so when she acts like him, it's like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did he become institutionalized? But, so we find out that the detainee that Maya's talking to said he was just tortured. And he doesn't want to be tortured again, so he'll answer any question she asks. And so, so again, the movie is like, oh, torture works. It makes this guy pliable. But we don't have to see it this time. But he, yeah. he, says, he says, the courier has left the area. I think he said he left the area. Mm-hmm. Quote, you will never find him. Yeah, he, well, he calls him one of the disappeared ones. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so next we cut to a man... You know, being set up with a bomb on his leg. Was that a bomb? I couldn't figure out what it was. I thought it was like a listening device or something. Mm, I wasn't sure. And so he's entering (laughs) a courtyard, and Dan is up there somewhere up in a balcony watching this all go down. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of what look like women with like full head coverings there. And they all are actually men, and they have guns. So they pull the guns on that guy and capture him, and we find out that he's Farage who is one of the people who brings messages from... Abu Ahmed has been sending messages from Farage to bin Laden. So he's a valuable part of the chain. Yeah, you really got to pay attention to Vera, what's going on in this movie. Because there's... <laughs> like this guy came in from the cold. I know I keep referencing it, but there's lots of names and places, and certainly the movie keeps changing locations. So you got to keep up. You want to be a terrorist hunter, I guess. So we next got to Bradley, who is talking to Maya, says he gets, he's got a, her a one-on-one with Farage. But before she talks about her favorite subject, which is Abu Ahmed, yes, mm-hmm. she has like an entire folder full of st- stuff he wants, you know, her to ask first. It was and, like tons of stuff too, right? Yep. And I liked how in this moment, Brad is like, "Are you going? Aren't you going to even look in the folder?" And he's like, "No." And then get, like she lists off all the things that he know or she knows he wants. And, yeah, the idea yeah. is she's like has a photographic memory or is really good at memorizing she, stuff. Yeah, and knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess there's a reason why these interrogations of these terrorists take like months, because not only is it difficult, because but there's a lot you want to ask about as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something they mentioned in the pre in like the big first meeting scene where they're talking about all the different things they have to ask anyone. So much of it. Unfortunately, so, the movie spares us all of that tedium. So Dan brings Farage into the black site and force feeds him at one point. 
Mm-hmm. It's more torture, effectively, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Maya gets interrogates Farage, and when mm-hmm. she you know, mentions Abu Ahmed, she's like, no, you're thinking of someone else. And Is this the part where they say he's dead, or is that later? No, it's later on. So they waterboard Farage because he's not telling the truth. And mm-hmm. Maya leaves or goes outside and tells Dan that all of our methods and we're not getting anything out of him. And he says, you want to take a run at him? And surprisingly, okay. Dan refuses. Yeah, well, he says that he's getting out. He's going back to headquarters. Back to DC. He can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's not as much of a monster as he appears. I mean, he's but still he... kind of a monster for right. doing all of that. But he doesn't seem to, like, enjoy it. It's not like he, like, can't get enough of it, True. right? True, But then he has a warning. He says, politics are changing, and you don't want to be the one left holding, I think he says left holding the dog collar or something uh, like that. Yeah, he does say that. But basically, you don't want to be the one going up the river when oversight comes down and mm-hmm. says torture is wrong, and you got to stop doing it. Yeah, and this is also where he says, you know, watch your back in Pakistan. People know who you are now. Mm-hmm. So we take another time jump to September 30th, 2008. It's a pretty big time jump. Yeah. So we've gone from 2003 to 2008 now. 2008 was almost the election of Barack Obama, but even before the election, Dan could tell that politics were changing and the yeah. George W. Bush era was not going to continue. Islamabad Marriott, Maya and Jessica are having dinner. They're waiting for their other co-worker, Jack. Yes, and... this scene fails the Betstel task pretty hard. Yeah. Because yeah. first they talk about a guy, and I was like, who Who are they talking about? Who's Jack? Is that the coach from Friday Night Lights? Mm-mm. No, that was that was somebody else. So, like, who is he? We never get to meet him. So they we talk about one later man. On. Well, later on, yes. So talk about one man, and then they talk about another one, Abu Akhmed. Yeah, so Jessica thinks that Maya needs to let go of the Abu Akhmed lead, mm-hmm. and Maya thinks that because Faraj lied about Abu Akhmed's location, it's just as valuable as the only other thing that Faraj lied about, which was Bin Laden's location. It's just further cementing in her head the idea that Abu Ahmed is important. Yeah, and it's pretty solid logic, of course, because Faraj probably knew that if they found Abu Ahmed, they could find Osama Bin Laden, mm-hmm. which, of course, is, the, is correct. There's also a reference in this scene that Maya has no friends, apparently. Right, yeah. Which well, I find difficult to believe, but okay. I don't, because she seems like she's very focused on this, and also... Who's she going to be friends with outside of work if she's working out there? A heterosexual man. So Anyways. they're chatting, and then all of a sudden a bomb goes off. Just when things are starting to get boring. Right outside the restaurant. Yes, and we have a long take of them escaping from mm-hmm. the restaurant through smoke and debris and people crying and people screaming and so this on. This reminded me of that one scene in Munich where the explosives went out and, off, and then uh, what's-his-face... Eric yeah, Bana. Eric Bana was getting out through the exploded hotel. Yeah, I mean, it also reminds me, I think they do this in Children of Men, they do it in a lot mm-hmm. of movies. Mm-hmm. But it's always good. And it turns out that the hotel was the target. Yeah. They weren't, well, so far as we know, they weren't the target. Well, like, like the, restaurant, the, the restaurant they were sitting in was not the target. It was yeah. just nearby, and it was a truck bomb that was trying to get into the hotel, but it's was stopped the, by well, security. The restaurant was in the hotel. Okay, it wasn't the restaurant itself that yeah. was targeted that, because they probably would have been dead if that had been the case. The next chapter is called The Meeting. Okay, and but then there's there's like a title that says Tribal Areas. Tribal Territory, so that's where they were, the, the location was. Yes, and this is the best part of the movie, is oh. this chapter. It's the best right. part. I will tell you why when it's over. All right, so Jessica comes back to Maya's desk. This is seemingly a while after the explosion, so they're not as shaken. 
mm-hmm. and she tells him that J- the Jordanians have a mole and that he took a video of the meeting to prove himself. And so that's the video that we see of all these men together talking about, well, we don't actually know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's not subtitled. Yeah. And it's very brief, but it's we get the impression from the dialogue that it's this guy with Al-Qaeda leaders. Mm-hmm. And Jessica loves it. She's so excited. She's so happy. And also, this is confusing because we have a character named Jessica and an actor named Jessica. That's but... why we stick to character names and not actor names. <laughs> no promises. So Jessica, <laughs> the character's like, we have to try. We have to pursue this lead. So they take it to Bradley, but Bradley doesn't believe it. And he even brings up the fact that um, Maya said that they aren't going to do this for money, that it's they're all driven by ideology. Yeah, so how are you going to get to them? Which we will get to later. <laughs> and then Jessica comes in and says, you know, the meetings with the mole is off because he can't travel. It's too mm-hmm. high of a security risk. And the mole wants that, um, them to come to him, but... but they're like, that's they're a risk for to. us. Yeah, yeah, because they're white and they would be kidnapped. Well, not, not so, to mention, it's just so... It's Even if almost kind of no matter where they meet him, if it's not secure, it's risky for them. One of the other guys who's there watching the TV with them suggests, what about Germany, somewhere in Europe, he's got a clean passport. And they said the mole won't go anywhere outside Al-Qaeda territory. So he suggests, what about Camp Chapman in Afghanistan? Yeah, so I guess a U.S. base doesn't qualify as outside of Al-Qaeda territory, but whatever. I mean, it's within the territory, so it's not like he has to leave. It's on the other side of the world, world in other words. Yeah. Yeah. We go to Jessica, who's at Camp Chapman. Apparently she baked him a cake. Yeah, it's because it was his birthday. I think someone mentions yeah, yeah. that. There's a drop line about that, yeah. You know, like, how much money should we offer him? How much access should we offer him? Are you offering him too much? Mm-hmm. And again, Jessica's really excited. She's like... Uh, like a kid, and I don't know, help Maya me out here. Is back still in Pakistan? So she's not with Jessica in Afghanistan. Yeah, but she's chatting with her over AOL Instant Messenger, or, or probably something, some, something, something equivalent, right? It's something more secure than that. <laughs> Jessica's talking to her team about all the procedures, like Washington will want real-time updates, and yeah, will, and so the director will probably be in on those updates, which probably means they'll be shared with the president too. So it's like very prestigious for them and their team. Yeah. It's a big opportunity for them. Maybe that is making them be a little hasty. Easy for Uh, me to say though. They're waiting for a while and they finally see a lone car driving approaching the checkpoint. Yeah, it's like a guard post on the outside of the base and Jessica talks to I guess the site security guy. She's like, don't search him, just bring him in. Bring him in, you're going to spook him. Because and then he's going to run away. He doesn't want to because it's procedure. But she convinces him to change his mind. Mm-hmm. So the car drives through. I, that's an interesting idea. So they have all these like barriers set up so that the car has to drive a winding pattern, so it can't build up speed really if it's coming through the base. Yeah, it can't do a ramming attack. And if mm-hmm. it's a vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, they can mm-hmm. shoot the heck out of it before it can get close. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, they have it here in the U.S. too. If you go to some government buildings or major hotels, especially in New York City, and there's like these pillars outside. Mm, right, yeah. Those are just to prevent car ramming attacks. Interesting. Huh. So he gets there and he steps out and he's acting all weird. And then suddenly he's, there's all this great tension. Yeah, he's limping. And the, one of the guards like, he's supposed to be limping like that. And they're, like mm-hmm. he has his hand in his pocket. And the guard's saying, please get your hand out of your pocket, sir. Get your hand out of your pocket. And then, boom. He explodes. Yes. Yeah. Jessica, I mean, Maya, <laughs> never yeah. gets a response over AOL. 
Mr. Messenger. It's very sad. We had news reports saying that a mother of three was killed. I presume that is Jessica. Yeah. And then there's news reaches Maya that maybe Abu Ahmed is dead and they're yeah. up a creek. So that's uh, Jack who comes and brings her that message. Oh, wait, no. No, that's not Jack. That's Jack's later. Okay. So someone comes and finds her crying and she's like drinking. And she wants revenge. Yeah. The proof that Abu Ahmed is dead is that someone, they have video of a detainee who has shown that picture and says that that person died in Afghanistan in 2001. Hmm. And then, yeah, so later on is where their coworker Jack comes by and finds Maya. I said, he, sorry, he couldn't make it there till now. And okay. he asks, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to smoke everybody this involved with this op, and then I'm going to kill Bin Laden. Smoke everybody in this op sounds like something from, like, a World War II movie. <laughs> or, like, from the 70s. I don't know, it doesn't sound like something someone would say in 2012. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm wondering, yeah. I don't I don't I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. I, I liked it, too. And speaking of cool lines, the next part is a pep talk. Oh, well, it's sort of like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of yeah. scene by Mark Strong with hair, which makes him hard to identify. Right. So this is our second movie with Mark Strong with hair, isn't it? Yes. I don't <laughs> remember just, the first one. Uh, it was um, with Paul Rudd, the... Uh, oh, the catcher. The yes. Berg, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So this is a new chapter now called Human Error. Mm-hmm. Big meeting with a terrible pep talk. Yeah, he basically was like, do better. People are dying. Blah, 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 blah. Is it do, your, do your jobs or do your effing jobs. I want targets. Bring me people to kill. Bring me people to kill is a great line, but it's not really what you want to hear. No. And so someone comes up to Maya with a file mm-hmm. um, that's labeled Ibrahim Saeed. And the new girl who brings it brings it in says, you know, he might be Abu Ahmed. And Maya wishes that, you know, she had had that file five years ago. But apparently it's got lost in a shuffle after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And the new girl, I don't remember. Do we remember what her name De- was? Debbie. Debbie, thank you. Says that she was inspired by Maya to come to Pakistan, wants to buy her a kebab sometime, and like Ma- Ma- Maya, very focused on what's going on, says, don't eat out, it's too dangerous. See what I mean? She's got a fan club. She could have friends if she wanted. And she, she's got groupies. I don't, she does want them. I think she's so focused on her job that she doesn't have time for friends. Yeah, I, I got it. And that's a complaint, but I'll, I'll talk about that later. Yeah, so as she gets the file, she's also looking at all the different people on their board and starts re- realizing something. And mm-hmm. then we cut to Langley where Dan, we, f- we see Dan for the first time in a long while. Yes. Clean shaven Dan now in a suit looks super different than when he did back in, in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And he gets a call from Maya and Maya tells him that they may have found Abu Ahmed and that his family name is Saeed. Dan's like, what does this really matter? Cause he's dead. We find out Abu Ahmed was one of eight brothers. And the yeah, three and they eldest, all look kind of similar. <laughs> yeah, they all look similar. And the three, or at least the three eldest, went to Afghanistan. And Maya theorizes that when they all began to grow beards, they must, they would have all looked really similar. And yeah. she theorizes that the older brother, Habib, is actually the one who died, not Ibrahim mm-hmm. um, or Abu Ahmed. Yes. And Dan's like, all right, this is all theories. What's, where's your proof? And she says that. If someone as important as Abu Ahmed died, the chat rooms and chatter would have talked all about it rather than just hearing about it from one guy in a detention center. That's Which true. Especially if he's, important, if he's as important as they say. Yeah. I could see that. 
So Dan is like, all right, we need to take this case to Kuwait. Well, no, what he said, well, first he says, he had to ask, all right, what's your request? Because you're not going to be calling me if I don't have a request. So she, she needs uh, the Saeed family phone number. And he goes, he says, I'll go talk to the wolf, who we don't get another name for. He's just known as the wolf. I thought we did get a name, but I didn't pick it up. Mm -mm. I mean, I looked on IMDb. The wolf is Maya's mentor. I can't keep track of everybody. He, like, knocks on his door, finds him, like, praying on a prayer mat. Oh, right. The scene was so short. I, like, I mean, I guess him being a Muslim is pretty memorable, but it comes and goes so quickly that I didn't even write it down. Well, it is important, though. The wolf, apparently, so he's seemingly a higher up in the agency, in the CIA. Mm -hmm. Dan goes to talk to him, says he needs a couple hundred thousand for an op, max four. That's great. That part is good. says that Abu Ghraib and... Gitmo really screwed them, and that they've got senators who, you know, want blood. Mm-hmm. And that the director's concerned, and that the, these senators won't stop until they have a body. And Dan makes a deal, saying, alright, if you give me the money for this up, I'll be the body. I'll be the fall guy. Yeah, so he's willing to put himself on the line. I do remember that now. Yeah. Yes. So that's, it, it is important. It's, it's a very short scene, but it's important, because it's like, oh, wow, that's, I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. But then we go to Kuwait. So this is where yeah, so we go to a Kuwaiti nightclub. Dan's there meeting with someone. I don't know if we get a name for him. No, I, I don't have it if that's the case. And Dan needs a favor from this guy, and the guy says, you only come to me when you need help. We're not friends. And Dan <laughs> offers him a V10 Lamborghini as a apology or as a, please help me out here. Yeah, that's a good way to buy you a friendship. Yeah. Maya and, could learn a thing or two from him. <laughs> and so even, not, not only does he say, I'll buy you a Lambo, he brings him to a Lamborghini showroom where he actually had to like call up the guy and wake him up because they weren't open at that time. And Showing his power, I guess. Showing his influence. Nice, you know, yellow Lamborghini. And they make the deal. He asks the guy, tells him, I need the phone number for this guy, uh, this guy Saeed's mother. She lives in Kuwait, and the guy agrees as long as no, there's no repercussions in Kuwait. I feel like that conversation probably has happened a lot in real life. Mm. The Gulf states always seem to avoid bad things happening there most of the time. Yeah. And then we get to a new chapter, Tradecraft. Yes, where they're eavesdropping on these people's phones. On, uh, on the Sa- mother Saeed's phone and we get like it's an itch- I, I like this visual of we get the graphic of you know, them tracing the call and then you see this all the servers of mm-hmm. you know all the all the tech that's tracking them and then you get the location tracker yeah it's like the wire and so maya gets maya is outside looking very cool in some sunglasses and mm-hmm. she gets a call apparently there's a Said family call in progress here's jack this is jack is the one who tells her this Okay. It says that Ground Branch is dragging their heels because they haven't said anything incriminating, and so they're not deploying any team yet. Mm-hmm. So Maya goes down to the Ground Branch to ask why he hasn't deployed a team. He hasn't said anything incriminating. We don't have enough men to do this, and also by the time we get there, he'll probably be gone already. Yes, they kind of have a kind of intense argument here. And later on in the commissary, Maya brings him a beer, says that they've been listening to him on this guy for two months and the ground team guy is like yeah but didn't you say there's like eight brothers and a million cousins it couldn't be <laughs> any one of them calling mm. him calling their mother and it's it's not like he you know picks up the phone and says hey it's your son the terrorist that's true but maya brings up the point that in those two months 
he's called from six different payphones in two different cities and is always lying about where he is. And one point he claimed that he was up in the, uh, what did we call it? The tribal territories, where in fact he was actually just in the marketplace. So lying. I like this quote here. She says, I'm sorry, that's not normal guy behavior. That's tradecraft. Yes, which of course is true. So it's interesting how by trying not to be detected, he actually made himself very detectable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because he couldn't have blended in with the other million cousins or so, mm-hmm. because nobody else is moving around like that. Yeah. And so the ground ops guy says, if he talks about an operation or something fishy, they'll get on it. And Maya says, he's too smart for that. If he's, if he's as close to Bin Laden as we think, you don't get that close by talking over the phone about operations. Not with someone as cagey as Bin Laden, certainly. Yeah. And I think this is where we will stop. Yes, this is about halfway through the movie, and Osama Bin Laden is still out of our character's reach. Alright, so let's go into Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction for this half. Okay, so for Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction, there is no Zero Dark Thirty book. Okay. This movie is not officially based on any one particular book, but I read Manhunt, The Ten-Year Search for Bin Laden from 9-11 to Abbottabad by Peter L. Birkin. So the book doesn't really clear up the question of torture. It doesn't say how much it's used or how effective it was. Mm-hmm. It does say Al-Qaeda members were integrated in a variety of ways, including torture. And it right. also says that people gave up information, including information that terrorist hunters really needed, but it doesn't draw a correlation. It doesn't say they got the info because of torture. One detainee named Katani, who was tortured but not waterboarded, according to an FBI official, quote, began evidencing behavior consistent with extreme psychological trauma, such as talking to non-existent people, reporting hearing voices, crouching in a cell covered with a sheet for hours on end. A former judge ruled he had been tortured, and as such, he could never be prosecuted for anything, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. A Senate Intel Committee report investigation found the course of interrogation played no role in supplying the leads that led to Osama bin Laden. Hmm. Interesting. According to Jose A. Rodriguez Jr., writing in the Washington Post, the film, as in Zero Dark Thirty, actually goes too far. He says, not that many people were waterboarded, it wasn't as intense, and it wasn't done after 2003. But I guess you decide who you believe. Well, that scene in the movie is before 2003, isn't it? Yeah, and Bergen's book doesn't mention any use of waterboarding after 2003, but it does before that time. Katani that I mentioned, he does give information and identify the courier known as the Kuwaiti. Hmm. There was a question about, once we find Bin Laden, what are we going to do? Right. Because if you kill him, you might make him a martyr, but if you capture him, that means a trial. So Robert Dannenberg, the head of CIA counterterror ops, said, quote, we wanted to make sure that we didn't find ourselves in a situation where we were obliged to capture, not kill Bin Laden. We would much rather give him the 500-pound bomb on his complex and pick up his DNA someplace than put him on trial. Hmm. Women analysts played a very prominent role in the search, and the book cites many examples that we won't get into right now. In 2003, Brad Garrett, not the actor from Everybody Loves Raymond, but a veteran analyst, said that, quote, you can't trust the Pakistanis. Every time we had a conversation with the Pakistanis, the information immediately leaked, Hmm. which which I thought will be interesting later. In 2005, the dedicated bin Laden unit at the CIA was closed, and its analysts were reassigned. And the reason for this, the leadership thought there was not going to be any magical piece of intel or single detainee that would get them what they needed. For now, they needed to take on Al-Qaeda as an organization and not worry about just one person. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
the CIA was never able to get a spy into Al-Qaeda, as far as anyone knows. Maybe, maybe they did and they're just not talking. But somehow, I don't think so. And then finally, and we're going to be talking about him in a Microdot episode, hopefully, hmm. coming up. The suicide bomber, Humam Khalil Abu Malal Al-Balawi, killed seven CAA officers and contractors, including a mother of three, as the movie mentioned. Hmm. It was the single deadliest day for the agency since a 1983 Hezbollah attack on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut, which killed eight. And the same week that Balawi did his attack, the underwear bomber attempted to down an airplane over Detroit. So it was a very bad week for the agency. I don't remember the underwear bomber. Oh, I, I remember the underwear bomber. It was really scary. Because oh, did he, he? He had it like next to his junk. So yes, and he got high all the security. And the only reason why he was foiled was, I guess it didn't work. Like the oh. shoe bomber. But oh, also, all of the passengers like beat him up. Oh, it's, so he's the reason why we have body scans now. That imaging software. That's right. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Impressions on the first half of the movie? We don't have to do a rating, but any sort of overall thoughts? I mean, I did, I did find it very interesting. Just the, like I said, it's it's just one of the darker movies we've covered, and very very depressing feel, but very effectively done. And rare moments of levity are much appreciated. I did find it interesting, just the way they portray. Yeah, it's a, it's a very different portrayal than of obviously your martini spies of the espionage work. And I appreciate that because, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of espionage and intelligence. Yeah, fair enough. It's different, obviously, from a fictional movie like the one we did last week, mm -hmm. but also from movies adapted from fact as well. True. So I remember really enjoying it when I first saw it. This time around, I'm not quite enjoying it as much. The mm -hmm. plot is very disjointed. And Jessica Chastain's character is not very likable. She's I'm just such a stereotype. I'm wondering if the reason it was so acclaimed at that time is because of the freshness of it. Yes. And how close we were to that time period. I mean, even the, even though now is only, what, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I contrast it with 13 Days, mm -hmm. which it was filmed 30 years after it happened. Right, right. And I'm going to do more comparison about that later. I think it was a better movie because you could sort of develop what everybody is thinking. So clearly Maya is not a real person. She's probably an amalgamation of many CIA analysts. Right. She's not even a character. She's like a plot device that just moves us from bit of information to bit of information. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the feeling I got. Maybe you disagree. No, I, I, can see, I can definitely see that. All right. So we've done fact versus fiction and we've done a little bit of thoughts, no mm -hmm. reviews. Do you have a favorite quote from the first half of Zero Dark Theory? I do. And it's when Maya is interrogating Farage, I think. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, what does this Baluchi guy look like? And he says, tall, long white beard, thin, walks with a cane. And Maya says, kind of like Gandalf. Farage's like, who? I can't believe she watches movies. Speaking of how her character is like <laughs> a, the Terminator, let alone really long ones like Lord of the Rings, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was a very popular movie around that time. I don't. I, I, I just was amused by that. Maybe she was still in college then and had the time. Maybe. <laughs> Did so, you have a favorite quote? From I, already, I mentioned most of my favorite quotes because I didn't think we were going to be doing them. So <laughs> I will say, I will say, Mark Strong saying, "Bring me people to kill." <laughs> is, right. a, is a moment that stands out to me. Well, thank you for joining us for part one of our coverage of Zero Dark Thirty, and tune in next time for part two.
you can find us on social media at the spy five guys on facebook twitter and instagram until next time i'm christian and i'm zach and we are the spy five guys signing off Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.